the lead pastor here and have been for more years than I can count. (laughs) Can I pray with you for a minute as we look into God's word? There is incredible power in the name of Jesus. And we welcome you here, Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit. We pray that all that we do in life, and and in particular at this moment, would be done in a way that would lift your name on high, that would exalt you. And we're grateful that you're here. We invite you here. We invite you to speak into our life as only you can. We invite a fresh anointing of your spirit. And as we consider your word now, may may this be an act of worship where we we're, we're paying attention to what you would say to us and that we would just give you full permission to work in our life any way you see fit. And so we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're right in the middle of this series of messages from the book of Proverbs. And the, the title of the series is Sophia. And if you translate that from the Greek, it means wisdom. God's wisdom in particular. And what we've been doing is we've been taking a sort of a foundational text, which I've been reading each week. And then we've kind of been launching off that because the Proverbs are just all these slices of life where Solomon speaks into our life in different areas of our life, but it really flows out of these first seven verses of Proverbs chapter one. And so we're gonna experience that passage today in a different version. And I've asked Debbie to read Proverbs one, one to seven. These are the sayings of Solomon, David's son, Israel's king, written down so we will know how to live well and right, to understand what life means and where it's going. A manual for living, for learning what's right and just and fair. To teach the inexperienced the ropes and to give our young people a grasp on reality. There's something in here also for seasoned men and women. Still a thing or two for them to learn. Fresh wisdom to probe and penetrate. Rhymes and reason of wise men and women. Start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. So as I said, Proverbs is 31 chapters long and Solomon arranges it in sort of snippets and you you look at different places through those 31 chapters and you can bring together different themes and ideas. And so today, we're gonna look at the idea of what's in a name. And very specifically, what does my name, my reputation, my character say about me? What is the thing that I am building around who I am and how does it reflect on me? And most importantly, how does it reflect on Christ? So how does and what does my name say about me? How much does having a good name, an earned good name, being a person that someone can trust and depend on, how much does all of that play into who God wants me to be and how God's name is exalted through my life? How do I earn the respect that, of the people that I interact with? And so 
sort of a key foundational verse that Solomon uses is Proverbs 22, verse one. And he says this, a good name is more desirable than riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. A good name is more desirable than riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. And of course, scripture's not disparaging wealth in any way. It doesn't do that anywhere in scripture, but it's saying this, our self-worth, who we are in Christ, and what we project as Jesus lives through us, our self-worth is more important than our net worth. And in particular in our culture, this is a temptation to think of it the other way that we often wrestle with. An earned good reputation has the ability to just impact and sort of pump up and excel all the different areas of our life. And it's so much more than our image. And we hear about this so often. And the emphasis so often in our world and in our culture is, how do I look? Did I say the right thing? Am I positioning myself in the proper manner to build a long-term, God-honoring reputation? God says, I want to focus on your character, Scott. I want people to see Jesus through you. I want them to be drawn to Jesus and say, there's something about that person that's different that I'm drawn to. And that simple thing, that profound thing, is the life of Christ in me. Respect is something that's earned. A little statement I trot out once in a while, and I think it's very biblically true. Truth plus time equals trust. And what I mean by that is we don't just speak the truth, we live out the truth, even in the little areas of life. And we live that truth out over a long period of time. And as we do that, we begin to garner, we begin to earn trust. And it begins to be formed in my life. So we speak and we live the truth over time. So Proverbs Solomon says, let me identify for you a number of ways, character things that God wants to work on in your life and in my life that that when those things are being formulated, when we're progressing in these things, respect and trust begins to be earned and we begin to formulate a good name. And so, of course, the first one is integrity that Solomon talks about. So listen to some of the verses in Proverbs 17.7. If a fool should not speak with lofty ideas, then honorable people should not lie. Honorable people are not, a per- are not people that lie. 10 verse 9, the man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. We think no one sees. We think we've got it hidden up. God sees. And one day those crooked paths will be found out. 11 verse 1, the Lord abhors dishonest scales. You know, people that put a little pebble under the scale so it misrepresents what the thing actually weighs and you rip a person off. The Lord abhors dishonest scales. But accurate weights are his delight. He wants us to be people of integrity in our business and life practices. There's an old 
Japanese proverb that goes like this, the reputation of a thousand years may be determined by the conduct of one hour. The conduct of one hour. The choices we make, even in a short period, can directly impact one way or another the name that we have. If you look at the Hebrew word, and the Old Testament, the Older Testament is written in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for this, the word integrity, um, when it comes, when it's transliterated across, it, it means solid. And the image is like hardwood solid versus a veneer kind of word that's glued together and sort of pasted together. This kind of integrity is like solid hardwood. I read, uh, I read this story about this pastor, um, pastor a huge church, large staff, and one night he uh, just decided to jump in his car and drive down to the church because there was a big group of people at the church uh, practicing, rehearsing for an upcoming event in the church. And he thought, you know, I'm just gonna go down there, I'm gonna go and encourage them, I'm gonna pump up their towers, I'm gonna pray for them, just take five, 10 minutes, jumps in the car, drives down to the church, and he looks to the entrance of the church where there's all kinds of signs that say, no parking. And he goes and thinks to himself, I'm just gonna park there, I'm just gonna be there a couple minutes. And so he goes in and he parks at the front in the no parking area, runs in, there for like 10 minutes, pumps up the troops, jumps in his car and goes home. And next morning, when he comes into work, there's a note in his office mailbox. And it said this, it's a small thing, but Tuesday night you came to the rehearsal and you parked in the no parking area. And we try very hard not to allow people, even pastors, to park anywhere other than the parking lots for safety reasons and to comply with the fire regulations. I would appreciate your cooperation too. And then it was signed by the head of the maintenance department at the church. Now it takes courage to write a letter like that to your boss. That's integrity too, right? Pastor picks up the phone, calls this guy, gets him to come into his office. And he said to this guy right that day, he said, uh, thank you for writing to me about a slippage in my character. Because to be honest with you, when I drove into that lot last night, I thought to myself, I know I shouldn't park here, but after all, I'm the lead pastor. In other words, I was thinking to myself, I'm an exception to the rules that I helped put in place. See, integrity says, even in the little things, I'm not an exception, I'm an example. I'm not an ex exception, I'm an example. And so I, I live in such a way that I can say with integrity, follow me, park where I park, live where I live. You know, what I'm about to say, this is a bit of a hard one because it's true and yet it's not true all at the same time. You'll understand where I'm going here in a second. When I'm not a person of integrity, it's not just my name that gets mud thrown at it, but simply by association because I'm a follower of Jesus, 
because I'm a biblical believer, because I've said, I've done sinful things, would you forgive me, Jesus? Thank you so much for forgiveness that you purchased for me on the cross. Thank you that because I gave my life to you, uh, not only do I have eternal life, but, but, but you're with me every day, and you're shaping me, and you're using me, and you're forming me, because that's the reality of my life. And because there's all kinds of pre-Christians out there watching what we do, I believe watching way more closely than we can ever imagine. The temptation will be, because of what I've said about my life and my relationship, for them to associate what I do or don't do with God. And not just throw mud at me, but throw mud at him. That's not a good thing. That puts up barriers between them and a God that desperately loves them, a God that sacrificed everything for them, a God that that wants a relationship that will change their life forever. And by those acts by me, God didn't compromise in any way. He didn't do anything wrong. But some mud gets thrown in his direction and little walls start to get built up. Integrity is when what I say lines up with what I do. This is how a a good name, a name that is a good name for me, but also respectful to God, that's how it starts to get formulated. Then Solomon talks about humility. 29, verse 23, a man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. 11, verse two, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. I was reading the excerpts of an interview with a guy named, by a guy named Leonard Bernstein. And some of you have probably heard of him. He's, he's retired now and stuff, but he was a famous conductor of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. So sort of like top drawer music. And he was being interviewed once and the interviewer said, uh, Mr. Bernstein, what is the most difficult instrument to play in the orchestra? You have all these instruments in front of you. What's the toughest one to play? And he said, that's simple. The most difficult one is second violin. I can find all kinds of people that want to and have the capacity to play first violin, but to be in the place of being second rather than first, and to do it with enthusiasm, to feel okay with being in the second place rather than being first violin, To do that with enthusiasm, that's hard to find. But the problem is, is when you have no second violin that's operating with their best abilities and with enthusiasm, if you don't have that, you have no harmony. When people see people that are genuinely humble, not doing it in a way to actually secretly draw more attention to themselves, that good name continues to get built. Dependability. Solomon talks about this, and I, you know, I think perhaps as a culture, we're becoming less dependable. 25 verse 14, 
Listen to this image. Like clouds and winds without rain is a man who boasts of gifts he does not give. When I read that, I'm thinking to myself, this is such a picture of Southern Alberta. Just think about the weather through the spring and summer. You know, we eventually got rain, but some of the farmers I were talking to said, if we hadn't gotten rain in that week, the crops would be probably about toast. It just kind of came at the last moment. It was an incredible gift from God that we've been praying about. But up until that point, all kinds of times, the clouds would form up, it would be black, it would be so promising, it's going to rain, we need this rain desperately for the, for the flowers and for the crops, and these clouds would all form up, and all of a sudden, they would just dissipate and fly away or whatever. You know, it'd drop like 10 drops um, on the ground and cruise away. And this is the image of this passage right here. Like clouds and winds without rain, is a guy who says, I'm going to give a gift, but then he doesn't come through. It's disappointing. 15 verse 4, he who keeps an oath, even when it hurts, will never be shaken. Can I be counted on even when it costs to deliver? Do I show up when I'm supposed to and say that I'm going to? If I give my word, will I do everything possible to follow through? I was really proud of my son. Is it okay if I talk about my son? About two years ago, my son is a site supervisor for a custom home builder in Calgary. They build really high-end homes, expensive homes. And the first site that he was given complete charge of to run the whole show about two years ago was a $950,000 renovation to a house. And he was talking to me, and he was quite concerned. He said, Dad, this project is going to be late. And I said to him, so was the client informed that this was a possibility before, that this could happen? And he said, they were. I said, Sean, have you done your very best to bring this in on time? And he said, he's a very humble guy. <laughs> he, said, he, he said, yeah, I have. I've worked extra hours. I've worked really hard. I said, what's the problem, Sean? And he said, well, just because of supply train things, some of the supplies that were supposed to be here, that were promised to be here, Things happened out on the ocean somewhere or whatever, and they didn't get here. And then that backs up all the other trades, and, and there's just nothing that can be done. And I just said, Sean, I'm so proud of you. You've done your very best. You've called the people. You've worked hard. And this isn't on you. And so we do our best to follow through on our word. Sometimes external things come along and it's beyond our control. There's nothing we can do. But when we go to sleep at night, we go to sleep knowing, I gave it my best shot. That's what a person of dependability does. When that client comes to you and they want you to bid on a, bid, on a, on a project and they want it by a certain time, and they say to you, will you have it there by a certain time? And you're going to say yes, but deep in your heart, 
you know that in all likelihood, it's not going to be there on time. But you're thinking to yourself, if I don't say yes, I probably won't get this gig. The person of integrity and dependability just says, I will do my best to deliver on time, but I can't absolutely guarantee that date. And you might not get that gig, but your good name is being built. You know, I've spoken with a number of the biz- people, guys that, men and women, their own businesses in our church. Like, I'll kind of poke at them a little bit and they'll tell some stories to me and, and sometimes they'll talk about times where keeping their word costs them to do so. And then I'll probe them a little bit more, you know, poke at them a little more and they'll kind of reluctantly say, and there's even been times when there was a problem that wasn't my fault, where I ate some loss or all the loss to keep up my end, even though it wasn't my fault. Wow, I was proud of them. I think God is deeply proud of that. When we come through above and beyond so that my name, I earn that good name, but most importantly, the name of Jesus. There's no mud flinged at him. None at all. That's something I talk to you about frequently because when you get this one right, it all kind of trickles down from there, okay? So the scripture consistently says, and it's gonna say it again because it says it everywhere in the Proverbs that God has to be in first place in my life. If I wanna build that biblical, healthy uh, reputation in a good name that honors Jesus' name too. God has to be in first place in my life. And it, it really comes off of the, the, the verses that are the best known verses in Proverbs. Most people have heard these verses. Three, five, and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll give you straight paths. You know, when you come up to whatever it is in life, you're going to put him first. You're going to trust him. You're going to look for him, to him rather, for direction, and he will make your path straight. If you want favor, Solomon says, with God and people, if you want a reputation for good judgment, for common sense, for godly biblical wisdom, trust God completely. He can be trusted. I can't be trusted, you can't, none of us can be completely trusted. We mess up at times. He can be completely trusted. In everything we do, we put him first and he'll direct us, he'll give us, maybe not easy paths, but straight paths. You know, can I ask you like a real personal question? (laughs) I was just at a funeral not too long ago. I'm gonna be doing a funeral this week. I'm guessing I'm going to be. And I've been to a few in my day. When you die, will people be tempted to lie about you to clean up who you really were? There's that pressure. If you've ever been to a funeral, maybe you probably most of us have been, but or maybe you've been to many of them. There's this pressure to kind of scrub down who that person really was and misrepresent it. You know, 
I don't want to speak ill of the dead. I don't want to be honest about what was really going on. What are people going to remember about you and about me? This is really what our name is, isn't it? You know, life doesn't always go like what I'm about to talk to you about. And, uh, but it's a true story. And I think it's a really good illustration of this. And uh, I think I told this story once like 10, 12 years ago. But it's a good story. And it's a story by a guy named Bill Gaither. And uh, Bill Gaither, I don't know how old he is. He's quite old now, 70 or 80 years old, something like that. And uh, some of you know his music, old school music, southern gospel kind of stuff. And uh, he also was an author, and he wrote a book called I Almost Missed the Sunset. And in the book, he, he tells this story. He said, uh, when he'd been married about two years, so this is a long time ago, like 50, 60 plus years ago, he wanted to buy a piece of property. His, he and his wife were teachers in the community. He wanted to buy a piece of property in that community to build a house on and raise their family if they ended up having a family and all that stuff. And there was a piece of pasture land just outside the community um, where, people, where cattle, where cattle would graze once in a while, and he, he wanted to buy this. And so he found out that it belonged to a 92-year-old gentleman at that time, 92-year-old gentleman who was a banker, and I don't know if the guy owned the bank or if he was kind of like in charge of the bank, but he was 92 years old, and his name was Mr. Ewell. And Mr. Ewell owned all kinds of pasture land all around the area. He was an incredibly wealthy individual. He'd been very successful, worked really hard. And the area that, and, and, the, and everybody in the area knew that when you'd go to Mr. Ewell to ask to buy land, which a few people had tried to do, he would always say the exact same thing. Uh, no, because I promised the farmers they could use it for their cattle. The truth of the matter is, is that he had more than enough pasture land. He, he would never need that amount of pasture land to service all the cows. But for whatever reason, he didn't want to sell, and this is what he said. But Bill and his wife went and made an appointment uh, to meet with Mr. Mule because Mr. Mule even at 92, would still go into the bank two or three hours a day because he liked to keep busy and he would keep working. Makes an appointment, goes in to see Mr. Ewell, he and his wife, and uh, he sits, they sit down in front of Mr. Ewell's desk. Mr. Ewell kind of looks at them like this over the top of his bifocals, and Bill says to him who he is, who his wife is, and then he explains that he'd like to buy this parcel of 15 and a half acres of land. Mr. Yule gives the standard answer, not selling. And the reason I'm not selling is I said the farmers could use it for grazing their cattle. And Bill said, well, I appreciate that. Um, I think you have quite a bit of land. And, and I just wanted to say, I'd, I'd heard about that, but I wanted you to know that my wife and I are teachers here. We teach at this local school here in the community. And we thought maybe you'd be interested in selling a little piece of land to someone that plans to settle here and if we have a family to raise our family here and, and we're going to live here long term. We're wondering if you'd be interested in selling it to us. Well, Mr. Ewell just kind of paused for a while and he completely ignored everything Bill said. And then he said this, 
what was your name again? And uh, Gaither, Bill Gaither. And Mr. Ewell kind of hummed and hawed for a moment. And then he said, uh, any relation to Grover Gaither? And Bill said, yeah, he was my grandfather, my granddad. And Mr. Ewell uh, sat there for a while. He put down his paper, took off his glasses, put them on the desk. And he said, that's really interesting. Grover Gaither, who at that point had been dead for a number of years, Grover Gaither used to work for me. He was a farmhand on my farm, one of my farms. And he was the best worker I ever had. He would do a full day's work for a full day's pay. And the other thing I always knew about Grover is that he was completely honest. Then Mr. Yule said to Bill, what was it that you said you wanted from me again? And Bill, Bill told him what he wanted. And he said, uh, now let me think about that for a while. Come back and see me in a week. So in a week, they come back. And Mr. Ewell tells him, I've had that property, that piece appraised. How does 3,800 bucks sound? Would that be okay? Now, this is like 50, 60 years ago, okay? And so Bill Gaither is doing the calculations in his head. And he's thinking, if it's 3,800 bucks an acre, it's around 60,000 bucks, give or take, which there's no way I could afford that kind of money. And then, Mr. well, he's doing the math in his head. Yeah, Mr. Ewell goes, yeah, that's, that's 3,800 bucks for 15 and a half acres, all in, all in. And Bill leaned across the desk and they shook hands and he said, you have a deal. Fast forward 30 years. And Bill Gaither, Mr. Yule is dead. Bill Gaither is walking on this land with his son. And they've developed this land, they've lived there. Yeah, they traveled some for their ministry stuff, but this is where they raised their family. And it's lush, they've developed this pasture land. And he's walking with his son and he said to his son, um, this has been a great place for you to grow up on, hasn't it? And his son said, it was a wonderful place to grow up, dad. We'd play here, we learned here, we did all these things here. And then Bill looked at his son and he says, you know, the fact of the matter is, you had absolutely nothing to do with why that place was available to you. But simply because of the name, the good name, of a great grandfather that you never met, that's why you got to grow up here. The good name. Truth that I don't just speak, I live out, even when it hurts. Truth over a long period of time equals trust. And when your name or my name comes up in conversation, what's the go-to thought? And the real serious question, when I die, are people going to be tempted to polish things up and clean things up because it would be really hard to talk about the real you? Proverbs 22, verse 1, a good name is more desirable than riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold.